Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 16 through 12. The title of the message, as I've already shared with you, is Knowing God. Those of you who have read and were impacted by J.I. Packer's book, very famous book called Knowing God, may find it surprising to know this. That book was released 40 years ago. It was released the first time in 1973. Since that time, it's been re-released and has become a, a classic that has circled the globe. Now, don't confuse that with Henry Blackaby's work, Experiencing God. Two different books, both great, great volumes. Knowing God has sold over a million copies in the United States alone. And many of you have this in your library at home. I reference this at the beginning of the message because that is the title of our message today, Knowing God. Long before Packer wrote of knowing God and Blackaby wrote of experiencing him, Jesus was praying that our relationship with God would be close and would be clearly understood. That is, that we might know God. The premise of this series is to think of what Jesus might pray if he was praying for you and for me. He began his prayer with a time of fellowship and understanding with the Heavenly Father. And then he moved from that, knowing that God is three distinct persons in one Godhead makes it a a bit difficult for us to fathom, but don't let that worry you. God is indeed three, and he is indeed one. In fact, people who think that they're bright enough to figure out God usually get hung up on a point of debate instead of living by faith and enjoying the wonders of God. If you want to drive yourself crazy, try to imagine how God can be three and one. Now, I realize that there's a lot of, of uh, illustrations that people have given over the years. Uh, they've given the illustration of uh, water and ice and, and vapor, that uh, that is all H2O in, in three different forms. It's not exactly who God is. God is three in one. There have been <clears throat> those who have <clears throat> described uh, an egg as representing the great three-in-one. That is that you have uh, the shell and you have uh, the, the white of the egg and then you have the yolk of the egg. Yet all together they are three-in-one and without any of the one, they're not fully an egg, they're just part of an egg. That too is, is um, a good illustration, but it has some breakdown between here and heaven. There's no earthly illustration of the magnificence of God that can be completely comprehended in this life and be the perfect illustration of who God is. God is God, and the uniqueness of God is a mystery to all of us. And the power of faith is to live and believe that mystery. Someday we will have an understanding of God, or at least a better understanding of God. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even 
as I have been fully known. In verse 6, Jesus begins to pray for his disciples. Later, he will specifically pray for you and for me. But be sure that the prayer that he prayed for the 11 to be faithful to the end is also a prayer for you and me. You may recall that I've said this on more than one occasion, that not all the Bible was written to us, but all the Bible was written for us. And certainly there's a portion of this prayer that was prayed directly on our behalf, but all of the prayer was for our benefit and for our blessing. He prayed for 11 who were faithful to the end. The prayer of Jesus is revealing. He wants us to know God. Beginning in verse 6 of John 17, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has lost, been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, to know God, we must begin with knowing the gift of God, or that to know God's gifts, or the gifts of God, I might say it that way. Verse 6, I have manifest your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, Yours they were, and yours, <clears throat> and, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now let me just say a couple of things about this gift thing, and then we'll go into a bit of the outline. There are a lot of gifts that are referenced in the Bible. There's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are spiritual gifts. There's the gift of salvation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son there is the gift of Jesus Christ there are many gifts in this um, in the the economy of God but today the gift that's spoken of is actually you and and me we are a gift the whole measure of God's um, world is in gifts. We receive gifts. We give gifts. We are a gift. In sharing this, he first of all emphasized the importance of knowing God's name. Jesus reveals to his disciples and to you and me that the name of God uh, is a unique and powerful name. The Old Testament Jew knew his God as Jehovah or the great I am. Uh, 
And Jesus filled in the blanks of the great I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the I am, and let me tell you what the I am means. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. However, the Father's name includes more than this. Jesus also taught his disciples that God, that is the great I am, was their heavenly Father. Now in the Bible, the name of a child had a, or, the, or any name in the Bible, had a meaning, and typically it was a statement of their nature or their character. The names given in Scripture oftentimes reveal something about the person. Now here's what Jesus said, I have manifested your name. That meant that Jesus to his disciples and now to us had revealed the nature of God. He had manifested their name. To know God's name is to know God's nature. Now here's the second thing. In knowing, uh, to know God's gift, that is knowing God's name, we should also understand that we are God's name. We are being God's gift. We are a part of God's gift. When I was in high school, and some of you uh, who are in my generation will remember this, the girls used to talk about a guy, and they would say, well, he thinks he's God's gift to women. <clears throat> you ever heard somebody say that? And, and maybe the, there'd be some girl that had some way about her that wasn't very uh, nice or something, and, and uh, we'd call them stuck up, but also you would say, well, she thinks she's God's gift to men. You heard that? How many of you heard that at some point in your life, that kind of thing? Now they say, you're not all that. That's kind of what they say now. That's what that means now. You're not all that. Or that she thinks she's all that or whatever. Well, I want to tell you something interesting. I, I, I that is, as a born-again believer, and you as a born-again believer, we really are a gift of God. Now, we have a gift from God, but we are a gift of God. We are the Father's gift to the Son. And we know that Jesus is a gift to us, but we are a gift to Him. Here's what Jesus said. You gave them me. Now, what do you give to people? You give people gifts. So I am a gift. There's a little children's song that used to go, you remember that, I am a promise, I am a promise, I am a possibility, I am a promise with a capital P. And it was a neat little song to remind the children of how important they were in the economy of God and in the home. Well, we're important because we are a a gift. We are one of God's gifts. Now think about that. Think about being a gift to Jesus. We have not <clears throat> always been impressed uh, with the gift of Jesus to us, or we've always been impressed, I should say, with the gift of Jesus to us, and rightly so, but we are His gift. Jesus is never a disappointment to us, and we should never be a disappointment to Jesus. You ever received a gift and it broke after a, a while? You say, oh man, I got this and it broke. You ever thought about that when you receive the gift of eternal life and you receive Jesus, He never has been broken? Oh, He was crucified, but He was never broken. In fact, the gift of Jesus 
was given to make us whole because Jesus in himself is whole. He is a gift that, that continues giving to us. And we should be a gift that continues to give to him and, and not just take from him. That's a little hard to think about being a blessing to the Lord, but it's a thought worth thinking. Our living and our giving and our praying and our witness and our worship should all be a gift to God. Those of you who sing in the choir, you shouldn't sing in the choir to be a, a gift to the church. You shouldn't sing in the choir so that, so that we'll applaud at the end, although I love applauding. You should, you should sing in the choir to be a gift to God. When Matt chose that song this morning to sing, he stood and sang. He sang for us, but I pray that, and, and believe that he sang this as a gift to God. And we just got in on it. We are gifts to God. When's the last time you thought about that? <clears throat> When is the last time you thought about that I am not only blessed of God, I'm to be a blessing to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for us to know God. And to know God, we must know that God's name reveals his nature. And we should know that we are the Father's gift to the Son. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the first thing that the Lord wanted us to know was to know the gift of God, or at least to know that we are God's gift. Here's the second thing. We are to know... God's Word. Now, I've been preaching for 40 years, and I know others who have studied and preached God's Word much longer than this. I mean, a lo- that is a long, long time to preach. And while a familiarity with the Word is a great asset in preaching and in teaching, it is also very humbling Because people expect that once you've done something for a period of time, then you know everything that there is to know about it. What I have discovered and what most of my friends have discovered is that the more that we know of God's Word, the more we realize how little we know about God. Because God's Word, while it may reveal more of Him, the more we study, it reveals the more of Him that we cannot see. It's like the iceberg that took down the Titanic. If, if they really understood how much ice there was below the surface, the ice above the surface wasn't the problem as much as the ice below the surface was the problem. To know God's Word is to grow to the point of understanding that we don't have all that much understanding. Must be, we be Bible scholars in order to, to serve Him? Well, not so. If it was so, most would never make it, and those who think that they really have made it haven't scratched the surface. I like to tell people what I told a guy yesterday. I, I was standing in line to go into the ball game, and a local guy who is, is uh, uh, involved 
in administration at FSU and used to be on television here <clears throat> in Tallahassee, uh, <clears throat> he uh, looked at me and he said, Dr. Ray, excuse me, <clears throat> he said, Dr. Ray, that's how I can tell when people don't know me, is when they call me Dr. Ray. And uh, he said, Dr. Ray, um, where did you get your PhD? <laughs> that was awesome. Because he had a PhD. And uh, he said, where did you get your PhD? <clears throat> and I said, well, I don't have a PhD. You don't? <clears throat> no, no, I don't. I, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in marketing from Middle Tennessee State University. I didn't tell him that, but I thought about telling him that. I did tell him this. I said, after I graduated from college, I went to seminary and got a seminary degree. And I said, the doctor's degree that I have is a DD, which stands for didn't do it. And he, that gave a little comic relief to an otherwise tense moment uh, because I think he was shocked that he was talking to someone that didn't have a PhD. But, uh, but I said, I... I have a DD, which stands for didn't do it. But I want to tell you something. A PhD, a DD, a LOL, or whatever else it may be, <clears throat> is not going to qualify you to know God. What qualifies us to know God is to know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we can know God. And the more that we know of God, the less the, the more we realize that there is more to know of God, and we become more humble in what we do know of God. Knowing God means to know God's Word, and for that, there is a personal understanding to consider. Verse 8 says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they believed that you sent me. Our relationship with Jesus is all about the truth. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You recall earlier this year we had a series of messages, and the series of messages was based on truth, love, and worship, the DNA of our church. The DNA of our church should be and must be truth, love, and and worship. Maybe you've been in a situation where the, the truth has not been heard or the truth will not be heard. I'm an advocate of the legal system, but I know and so do you that there are times when an injustice is done because the truth will not be heard. Sometimes people uh, do God an injustice refusing to hear the truth. They just don't want to hear it. We do not want to know what the Bible says about faith or, or our walk and our testimony. Oftentimes, we, we shun the truth. We don't want to hear it. We want to be near it. We want to say that we believe it, but we really don't want to hear it. We want confirmation rather than challenge to our lives. It's an easy thing for pastors to shade the truth to make it less offensive to the lifestyle of society or to the lifestyle of the congregation. It's, it's very easy. The thing today is cultural relevancy. That's a word you ought to, two words you ought to write down. Cultural relevancy. That, that means making God 
fit the culture instead of changing the culture for God. We want to be relevant to the culture, not challenging to the culture. I've demonstrated this to you many times, and it's a very, very dangerous thing. Here's, here's the demonstration. The demonstration is to do this, is to lick your finger and put it to the wind and find out which way the wind of culture is blowing. And if the wind of culture is blowing in that way, then we want to turn the Bible in that direction and make sure that we're going with the wind of culture. And not being unkind, just being as real as I know how to be, there's a whole lot of that going on in our world today. There, there's a lot of accumulation of people based on cultural relevancy. Finding the direction of the wind and turning the Bible, whether it's to the truth or not, turning the Bible in the direction of the wind. That's cultural relevancy. Now here's the difference between that and challenging people with the Word of God. Challenging people with the Word of God is to see what God has said. God, the creator of all things. God, our maker. God, the one to whom we will go at the end of this life if we're saved. Taking the Word of God, the Bible, and seeing what the Bible has to say and say, this is what the Bible has to say. And then the, the man of God and the Bible study leader and the, the, the Bible study teacher in the church looks and says, this is what the Bible says, and that's the direction the Bible tells us to go. It's a big difference from licking your finger and sticking it into the wind. Now, trust me, believe you me, and, 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 and I want to be careful here because I want to be loving, but believe you me, you can build a crowd with cultural relativism, but you cannot build a root system. You can, you can, you can build a crowd, but there's, there's no roots that go down. It is a house that is built upon the sand. Cultural relativism has led to the acceptance of all kinds of things. Cultural relativism has led to the acceptance of, of abortion in the pulpits of America. Cultural relativism has led to the acceptance of the gay agenda in the pulpits of America and has turned a blind eye to the destruction of alcohol and drugs on our society. All in the name of cultural relativism. And, and it hasn't stopped there, and it's not going to stop. I was at Gold's Gym the other day, and I don't know if I told you this on Wednesday night or not, but I was at Gold's Gym the other day, and a, a, uh, a guy that I see there pretty regularly uh, who plays golf, and we've been talking about uh, a golf club up the street. I'm, I'm not going to name any name, but you'll figure it out. Uh, a golf club uh, up the street from here, and, and, and uh, it had closed down. Uh, the golf club had closed down, and somebody reopened it trying to get it going again they they reopened it and and so I was on the treadmill and another guy was on the treadmill and he came up and was talking to both of us on the treadmill and he said I played so-and-so the other day and I said oh you did and he said yeah he and, and I'm going on the treadmill and he's standing there and he said uh, they uh, had a pretty good price I said really and he said yeah they had a good price and he said and with your round of golf you got a beer and a hot dog <clears throat> I said, wow. And he looked at me and he said, 
You ought to try that at your church. Now, let me tell you what's funny about that. Nothing. And, And do you know why? Because with cultural relativism, churches are really diluting themselves to the point that whatever the is done in a pew has got to be confirmed instead of challenged. I, I hope, I pray, oh please, don't come here just to be confirmed. If look, if you don't hear if you don't hear your life challenged from the Word of God, it ought to stir you up. It ought to disturb your sleep. It ought to cause you to think, oh, I ought to think twice about that or three times about that. It ought not go with the flow. The, the Word of God is relevant to culture, but it doesn't have to be made relevant to culture. It is, changes the culture that needs its relevance. Could somebody else say, man, you help me out right here? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's the truth. You say, well, preacher, I, I mean... You expect us to be perfect in order to come to church? No, then I couldn't challenge your culture. In fact, I love imperfect people. I'm very close friends with imperfect people. I am imperfect people. To know God is not to have every idea and thought and action of our lives approved. It's to understand that our lives are to be challenged by who he is and what his word is written. Look, there should be every person in this room should be challenged by the word of God. Everyone. It always bothered me. I've, I've had people come, bless their hearts. They come to me and they, and you know, bless their hearts code for a lot of other things. But uh, <clears throat> they come up to me and they say, boy, that was a good sermon today. You didn't say anything I didn't already know. Well, there's two things. <clears throat> I said stuff I didn't already know. And, and, and secondly, don't come to church to hear something that you already know. Come here to be challenged. And, and when life is over and when it's all said and done, uh, I, I pray that, that when you, you finish your life, and I want you to finish it right here at North Florida Baptist Church, not today, but, but when, you, when you finish your life and you walk out of those doors, I, I pray that the, the, where they carry you out those doors, I pray that it can be said of your life under the, the preaching of God's Word at North Florida that your life was changed because you were challenged by the Word. J. Wilbur Chapman once said, it's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. And so it's not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to hear the word of God that our faith might be built and our faith might be challenged. And if we hear the word of God, then comes receiving the truth. I've got to hurry on. I I stayed on that point too long, but I sure enjoyed it. 
in his prayer, Jesus goes on to tell the Father that his disciples have, been, have received the truth that they have heard. I think of the hard reality that comes to us when we learn that there's something gone bad wrong in our bodies. I want all you to just keep looking at me, but I have a precious soul sitting in the, plat- in the, the balcony right now. The reason she's up there is because she's very vulnerable to germs right now. She's going through chemotherapy. She's sitting up there with her husband. If I was her, I wouldn't sit with him. I think he's all germy. Uh, She's up there sitting with her husband. Man alive. You know, when that word first comes, it's hard to sink in, isn't it? It's hard to sink in that, do I have this? Is this in my, my body? Am I going to have to deal with this? Sometimes we can't comprehend what we hear from the Word. It has to sink in. That's the way the truth of God's Word can be. When we hear a truth that cuts to the quick of our lives, it, it may be hard to receive at first. We hear it, but we really have a hard time bringing it in. Jesus prayed that, that we would receive it, that we would hear it, and that we would receive it. To, to know God is to hear and receive God's truth, regardless of how difficult it may be to hear. I want you to be happy. I want you to love being in church. I want you to like me. I want you to laugh when I'm funny. I want you to amen and all of that kind of thing. I want you to go out and tell your friends, you know what, you need to meet our preacher. He's the best guy in the whole world. But I'll tell you this, I want your life to be challenged. I want your life to to be challenged and say, now how can I be a a better dad? And how can I be a better mom? How can I be a better Christian? How can I be a better son or daughter? How can I be a better uh, uh, soldier? How can I be a a, a better whatever it is that you are? How can, can the challenge of God's word make me better? It can. At least that's what they said in Hebrews verse 12 of chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits, of, of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. To know God is to know his truth, hear his word, and to receive it, and to, to know it. I've got to hurry on, but verse 8 says, Again, for I have given them the words that you gave me that they may receive them and have come to know the truth that I came, uh, that, that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. That word know is that famous Greek word means experiential knowledge, gnosko, that, that I would have an experiential knowledge that Jesus is from God. I I have that. Do you have that experiential knowledge that Jesus is from God? Well, how do I get that? Well, that's, that's what happens when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you, you call on Him, and you ask Him to save your soul. Then you get that experiment, experiment, experiential knowledge. The third thing is to know God's heart, to know God's gift, to know God's Word, and to know God's heart. 
what Jesus will pray now is for the purpose of helping us to understand a divine unity that should be in each one of our lives. He said, I'm praying not for them. I'm not praying for, uh, I'm praying for the world, but for these whom, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for these whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine and all are yours. And yours are mine and I am glorified in them, that they may be one even as we are one. He talks about two or three things here. First of all, he talks about a special relationship. One of the most beautiful and intricate matters in Christianity is our relationship with God. We have a relationship with the Father through the Son. It's linked to our acceptance of the Son. That's how we have a relationship. If, if we have rejected His Son, we don't have a relationship to His Son. Kathleen, you and Jesse got married some years ago. I'm sure that his family loves you. I'm sure they loved you before y'all got married. But they didn't have a relationship to you. But then you said, I do to each other, and you, you set out on a life together, and now they still love you, but now they have a relationship to you through Jesse their son, and Jesse, your husband. That's how we're related to God, through Jesus Christ. He loves us already, but we're not in his family until we accept and have a relationship with Jesus. And when we have that relationship with Jesus, we become the father's children, just like Jesus is his son. Not only is there a special relationship, but there's perfect harmony. Sometimes we think of God and big God, little God. Well, God the Father, he's big God. Jesus, he's kind of little God. No, that's not it. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If anybody here understands that, then we probably need to talk. Because once again, much of the power of the Bible is, is that the truth is so great for us to understand. And while I don't fully comprehend and understand the beauty of the Trinity, I absolutely believe it. To know God is to understand something of His heart and the special relationship between the Father and the Son and the perfect harmony of the Godhead. It is also to know His heart's desire. That's what it means to know God. The Apostle Paul wrote, brothers, my heart's desire <clears throat> and prayer to God for them, that is for Israel, is that they may be saved. What is God's heart's desire for you and me? Well, verse 11 said that they may be one even as we are one. When there is harmony in the church, God's heart's desire is blessed. It is. <clears throat> when there's disharmony in the church, do you think God's heart's desire is blessed? Jesus said, Lord, I pray that they'll be one like you and I are one. That's what I want for them. Boy, sometimes we just needlessly, selfishly, foolishly get crossways in the body of Christ, and there's no reason for it. 
That's not the prayer in the heart of God. So the question this morning is, do you know God? Do you know his gift? Do you know his word? Do you know his heart? And finally, do you know God's care? That's the way that we'll finish our text for today, verse 11 and 12. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. With the exception of Judas, who was never one of them to start with, all of the disciples were kept in the care of his name. My life's verse is Philippians 4, 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's going to finish what he started in me because God cares for me. You want to have harmony and unity in the the body of Christ? Do you want to to know God? Do you want God to to really care for you? Then you got to keep focusing on Jesus. When I was a boy, I would walk to Vincent's Grocery at the corner of Rosebank Avenue and Riverside Drive. It was about two blocks. It was about a two-block walk. It always seemed like miles to me when I was a kid, but it was just about two blocks. It wasn't very far at all. But it seemed like every day mother would be out of something, and she'd say, Randy, I want you to go down to Vincent's and get so-and-so. You got any money? No, just tell him to write it down. Your daddy will go pay for it later. Y'all remember those days? Anybody remember those days? Your daddy will pay for it later. And I'd walk down to, to Vincent's grocery. And just before I got there, it was on the right-hand side of the road. There was, a, there was a lot on the left-hand side of the road, just an empty lot. And I remember one year, a couple of years maybe, somebody planted giant sunflowers in that lot. I'd never seen sunflowers before, and I certainly didn't know that they'd grow taller than me but they planted these giant sunflowers there at the, near the corner of Rosebank and Riverside Drive. Here's something interesting about a sunflower. A sunflower literally follows the sun. That's why they're called sunflowers. Watching them follow the sun is really something. It says that the sunflower continues to track the sun's direction for long after sunset. Through a 360 degrees, they ensure that they are always oriented in the direction of the sun, no matter where the sun may be. Their unity, their harmony is totally dependent on the shining, on where the sun is shining. To know God is to stay in harmony with Him. You know what it The Word says that we're to run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that no matter where He is, our eyes are on Him. Jesus prayed that we would 
know God like he knew God. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.